0: Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message. Patrick Ewa is
1: president of Manchester University and he's here to help me throw more light on how education will be like in the next decade. How is it likely to look? where are we making it where are we falling short short what would it take to provide world class education at every level in this country how important is education to our national developmental agenda can we make it happen what would it take these are some of the questions i'll be asking patrick who's built what some call the model university somewhere in a quiet community in a location that I don't even know which of the names to call it. It's just a couple of names. I'm going to ask him what exactly is the name of the location of Ashesi University. But I know one thing for sure, that many people see that as the model of how universities should be. Patrick, welcome to the Vetra University. Thank you. You build campuses. We build campuses in the hearts of people. But it's good to see you. (laughs) It's good to be here. Right. So let's start this discussion. How relevant or crucial is education to the national developmental effort?
2: Well, education is probably the most important thing that any nation does for the simple reason that the wealth of any nation depends on the value add that its citizens can do, things, the value that citizens can add to their natural resources. Right. And in order to add value to natural resources, you need knowledge, you need the right, the right work ethic, you need the right character. Um, and when I talk about character and work ethic, I'm talking about basic things like curiosity, ethics, um, a sense of responsibility, um, determination. Those things are very important, and education is a way to shape all of these character. This character, so both intellectual and and moral excellence is important.
1: Right. We'll be going into the details of the entire mix, the panorama of the education, what's in that box and what should be in. But there's a famous Chinese proverb that says that if you are planning for a year, sow rice. If you are planning for a decade, plant trees. But if you are planning for a lifetime, educate people, trying to point to the importance of educating people. And do, do you get the sense, Patrick, that are the... Policy level, there is a commitment to that long term. The project tries to focus on the long term development of people. Would you see, or do you get the sense that there's a commitment to long term development of the quality of education that can make us globally competitive?
2: My my impression is that on the policy level, things are mixed in Ghana. On the one hand, we talk about education a lot. The government spends a lot of money on education and so clearly there's an understanding that education is important. But on the other hand, we don't seem to really understand what we mean by education. So I think that there's some policymakers that think education is getting kids to sit in a classroom with a blackboard. Um, And they forget that education has to do with a transfer of knowledge to those kids. Or that, and also there doesn't seem to be a real understanding of how to plan for the long term. So, the Chinese proverb that you quoted is very appropriate because if you think about the long term and what education seeks to do with citizens, we need to have, you know, the educated citizen needs to understand or have at least ask the question, what is a good society? How do we want to organize our society? And it's about governance. It's about the rule of law. It's about how people ought to treat each other. This is a very important question. But it's also, as I said, about how do you add value? The, The example that I like to share with my students is, if you take a computer and you ask, what is it that makes up this computer? What are the natural resources that went into this machine? Well, the glass in that machine is made out of sand. The microprocessor is a silicon is made out of sand you 've got plastics that are that come from you know the oil uh, value chain um, and on to- on top of these natural resources you 've layered. Um, physics and chemistry and math and and also you, you know the machine is possible this has been created because there are people who are very curious about doing things better who are building on other people's ideas and I don't get the sense that the educational system in Ghana operates um, with this really with this understanding right The other thing is I think that when we talk about education in Ghana, we talk a lot about the inputs, right? Any time I hear people talking about education, they're talking about the inputs. And there's no sense that we should be managing the output. Right. But if, if you're trying to determine whether a school is good or not, it's not just about how many teachers do they have or how many kids are in the school. You should be asking the questions, how are the kids performing? Um, at the end of the year and if they're not performing well you should be asking questions about how do you get it to be better what are the interventions that you need to do and i don't feel that we're having that conversation in ghana
1: right patrick before i continue what, what exactly is it about the output side how do we measure how from your experienced perspective how can you tell that somebody's a product of um, a great institution or, or has had a good educational upbringing as it way
2: well, at the different levels, you, me- you measure differently. Uh, in in Ghana today, of every hundred people born, seventy to eighty will go to primary school. Uh, Thirty-five of them will pass the BECE. Twenty-two of them will go to senior high. Three of those will go to university or polytechnic, and one will graduate in four years. So. That's one way you could measure the output. You know, why is it that so many kids are failing the B.E.C.E. exam? Why is it that so many kids are failing the wasi exam? So these are standards that the government has set, or the you know, education ministry has set, for measuring quality at these levels. Right. And you see sometimes entire municipalities... Where all the children are failing. Now, clearly, there's something wrong in the processes that are going on in that municipality.
1: And you say the percentage that goes to primary school is 80%? Yes. Eight out of ten? Yes. And only 3% end up in the university? Yes. And only 1% graduate? In four years. Right.
2: Mm, (laughs) More will graduate in five or six years. So so that's one way of measuring output. The, The other way of measuring output is to say, okay when all is said and done what kinds of innovations are coming out of our workforce what kinds of innovations you know that are that are applicable to our circumstance you know what kinds of outputs are we putting out that are making life better in the rural areas or that is helping us build better infrastructure or set or set better
1: laws and so Th- this is how y- you measure output Right Looking at the traditional way of delivering education In our part of the world How would you How, how does it compare to the demands of contemporary times I, I look at myself And I look at 20 years ago When I graduated from the university And obviously the the demands of those times the The, the, the delivery of those times Is significantly different From what's right. taking place today But even if it were the same It would seem that the demands of industry, the demands of work, the demands of the quality of education being delivered across the world will be different from the level at which it was 20 years ago here in Ghana. How well does the delivery of education locally compare with the the standards that are required in contemporary times?
2: You know, there's an old saying that says, education is not filling a bucket, it is lighting a fire. I, I think that the method of delivery in Ghana today actually prescribes to the model of filling a bucket so there's there seems to be this idea that human brains are these buckets that we fill with information and there's a lot of rote learning asking students to memorize facts and repeat back to professors and this model of education is pervasive throughout our educational system this is very outdated i mean in the world today you know, the best educational institutions are focused more on analytical thinking, they're focused on critical thinking, they're focused on problem solving, they're focused on project-based learning, so hands-on learning. And this is an area that I think that Ghana does need to make the transition because we simply cannot be competitive in the world uh, with a model of just filling buckets.
1: Walk us through some of the, the major changes that have taken place in education delivery. I mean, you're in touch by virtue of what you do with different institutions right. in different parts of the world. Walk us through some of the transitions that have taken place and some of the exciting developments in the educational front that our listeners need to be aware of. What we're trying to do is to speak at the same time to policymakers, consumers of educational services, um, the parents on one hand, the students on one hand, and then also... Um, those who deliver the educational um, services, who may be listening in tonight, and who may want to rise to the next level, what are some of the developments on the global front that we should be aware of, either in your institution or in other parts of the world? That you see these are best practices that, if we look at, you can see this is where we should be heading towards. Th-
2: that's a that's a very big question, very broad question. Uh, you know, and what's happening is the differences depending on the le- on the educational uh, level. But, but across the world today, you will find that in higher education, for example, there's a very strong emphasis on project-based learning. So students are doing labs, they're doing design projects, they're very engaged in uh, in technology. They're using technology as a way to connect with each other across the globe. Um, And they're working in local communities. But I'd say that, you know, if you look at primary education, uh, middle school, high school, there's a real emphasis on the quality of teaching, the quality of teachers. How How do you get teachers who are motivated? and who are internally motivated not necessarily motivated by something external but internally motivated and there's also a very strong emphasis on making sure that schools are properly managed and we need to we need to pay attention to both of these things we need to be attracting the best and brightest into teaching we need to be we need to be holding the managers of schools responsible we need to be giving them the responsibility to run schools and the authority to make important decisions and then hold them responsible and we need to have a very student centered approach to learning that it's really all about it's all about students
1: 25 minutes past hour of seven. If you just tuned in, this is Springboard the Virtual University. My guest for tonight, Patrick Ewa of Ashesi University, walking us through developments in the educational field, both locally and internationally, that we need to be aware of, and how we as parents on one hand, students on the other hand, and even policy makers on, uh, um, on one part, can glean useful lessons to help us take education to the next level. We're looking at how to provide world-class education locally, or how to provide world-class education. Talking of world-class, Patrick, there's a development that is a subject of discussion around the coffee tables everywhere, and that is a number of families progressively sending their children abroad for education. Right. Um, and it's not just a Ghanaian phenomenon. You go to Nigeria, you go to other countries, and you find that significant chunks of families are sending their children abroad to college or to, um, for higher education. Um, what are the implications of this development for the educational um, sector?
2: well it's a, it's uh it's a troubling sign i think what you, what you're finding is people are losing faith in their local educational systems and those who can afford to send their children overseas do so because they believe that their children will get a better quality over, overseas and the reason i say it's a troubling trend is you know, on on the one hand, you have major policy makers, you, you know, people at the top of, you know, the political systems um, or the most senior uh, executives uh, in, in corporations who can afford to send their kids overseas and who are paying to send their kids overseas. And because their own children don't have to go through the local educational system their concern about the quality of the local educational system declines because after all it doesn't affect them so that's one thing that's troubling about it the second thing that's troubling about it is that it's just another example of African financial capital uh, migrating overseas because they're paying money to these uh, international schools, these foreign schools to to educate their, their, their children and then the third is, you know, the earlier kids leave Ghana um, for an education overseas, the the less contact they have with their own culture, and the greater the uh, the uh, the po- probabilities that they will not return home uh, when they're done with their education because they've been immersed in another culture and another way of doing things. So, you know, this trend is something that we should all see as somewhat troubling that we would be much better served by building high quality schools locally that we can trust to send our kids to and um and that everybody else's kids could could benefit from
1: 28 minutes past the hour of 7 and if you just joined, joined us, this is Patrick a. University sharing with me the thoughts his thoughts about education my last question was about educating children abroad and the phenomenon that keeps growing especially among the middle class and he's alluded to the fact that it's a reflection of a certain loss of faith in the quality that we are providing here as well as also um it's, it's further compounded by the fact that decision makers and people who are in place of places of influence sometimes find themselves sending their own children outside and therefore don't participate in what is being provided here and thus don't feel the comp- compulsion to improve it as it were. He says it also increases capital flight and then finally it does not allow the children to imbibe their local culture enough. And they get exposed early in the day to other cultures, and that is inimical to our progress. And by
2: the way, Albert, I think that this phenomenon is also mirrored locally. You know, there are very few policymakers who are concerned about the quality of education in public primary schools or public junior high schools. And the reason they don't talk about quality is because their own children don't have to go to those schools. And it's a very insidious, difficult problem. You know, I've been back uh, running a chassis for the past 10 years, and I can tell you that the political debate about education seems to completely ignore the question of quality. Politicians, policymakers are very happy to talk about access, They don't talk about quality they do talk about quality when they're talking about the school that their own children are going to but they don't talk about quality in the public schools because their own kids don't go there and it's just i think that's just an example of the point that i'm making that it is important that we're building institutions that we would want to send our own kids to
1: wow right if you're listening and you want to contribute to this discussion that the Send your thoughts by text to 1422 across networks and I'll be happy to share them with the entire world. You can join this debate also by posting your thoughts on facebook.com forward slash legacy dot legacy. Um, Patrick, based on recent trends, these trends that we are discussing, learning by route, you've you've spoken about the fact that learning by route conforms to the bucket-filling approach rather than the fire-lighting approach that you described. You've also spoken about the fact that the more people get disappointed or lose faith with the quality that we are providing in the public institutions the more they find um, better alternatives either locally or internationally and that's they are voting with their money and their feet out of the public and um, educational system and in the light of all these developments how, how do you forecast that education, the provision of education will be in the next decade? Which kinds of institutions, not necessarily by name but by positioning face the threat of extension? And I'm asking you this question because when, when we're growing up, some institutions were the local version of Ivy League institutions. Today they are, they are on the brink of extension, or they've become moribund. Nobody really I mean, people don't scramble to go there anymore. Is this trend likely to continue? And which kinds of institutions will get better? Which kinds will struggle going forward?
2: Well, it's it's difficult to predict what will happen in 10 years because behaviors can change as well. So you might have Institutions that are on a downward trajectory that can turn around and head in a different direction, but boy, I mean, Albert, that's a really tough question. I, I think that institutions that really set their benchmark mark according to how they're performing relative to to their peers all over the world will be successful. I think that institutions that stay abreast of you know, trends in technology will be successful. I think institutions that empower their teachers and their faculty um, and their students will be successful. And the ones that do not do these things, um, that have a more sort of bureaucratic, authorita- authoritarian approach to education. Um, and that don 't have the humility to learn from others will um, will decline over time uh, it 's difficult to 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 know which institutions will go one path or the other
1: well i, I wasn 't be looking for names, but still on the same point what, what are some of the warning signs that an institution could be heading for trouble if an education provider is listening tonight, what warning signs what are the warning signs that an educational institution is getting out of touch? with the modern-day trends in education delivery?
2: Well, if you're, if you're running a, a, a primary school or a junior high school where your, your kids are not passing standardized exams and not moving on, that is a very clear red flag that something has gone wrong. If you're running a, a university and your graduates are not getting jobs, that is a very clear red flag that something has gone wrong. That you're, you're somehow you've somehow failed to educate people that are relevant to their society and that are relevant to uh, corporations and and uh, and government uh, ministries and departments and so on. So I think that just you just look at your output is supposed to be an input for something else. Is that occurring? then I think longer term, we've got to also look at how our economy is growing. In Ghana today, you know, the last three years or so, we've had very rapid economic growth, um, largely because of the the oil find. And there are periods when we have fast economic growth because there have been good rains or you know, something has happened in the climate that we've had a bumper harvest. Uh, there have been times when we've had a poor harvest because of bad, bad rains. And I think that we get caught up in sort of congratulating ourselves for when we've, we've been successful, not because of anything that we've intentionally done in policy, but out of luck, right? And we need to be careful about that. So. If, if, we're, if we want to measure the success of our educational system, we should be measuring in what ways have our, in what ways have our economy grown or advanced based on actual human decisions and actions um, of the people that have been through our educational system. That, I think, is the ultimate measure. What are the specific things that our graduates have done that are, that are improving Ghana in some way? And sort of separate those things from the lucky things. You know, we found oil. Okay, there was oil off our shores. It's been sitting there for thousands of years. Um, now, of course, in that particular case, there were some policy decisions made that enabled the explorations to happen, and so you give credit to that but but, we really need to look at what else have we done you know when there's a when there's an increase in cocoa harvests because of government policy of educating farmers or giving them fertilizer um and pesticides and so on that is something we should take credit for right but if it's just because there was good rains this year, it has nothing to do with us we we shouldn't we shouldn't be measuring that as uh,
1: sort of a p- positive outcome of our educational system. Right. Okay. But at this point, Patrick, I would like to find out from you, what have you done differently at Achesi? So I, I
2: suspect that you're looking for very specific uh, formula of what we've done, but I, I want to just step back and talk about more generally how we've gone about things. I think that for for us, for me it really all starts with having a great team of people who, who are working together in a very specific way. And so the people that are hired to join the faculty and the administration of Ashesi are extremely important. But even before that, uh, we, under, we have a very clear understanding of why we, are, we set up a university in the first place. Why, you know, is it just a place for people to come and learn some facts or is there some some bigger purpose? And for us, the why is we want to see a transformed Africa. And everything that we do starts from this understanding that we're trying to have the same kind of impact in the world as those institutions that have transformed the West, that have transformed Asia and other places. So the why is very important. And then we got together and asked, you know, where where do we go from... You know, we know why we want to get somewhere, but wh- what is it exactly we're trying to achieve? And we came up with a set of learning goals for Ashesi. So there's seven learning goals that every Ashesi every graduate should have certain attributes. And there's clear understanding among the faculty and the administration about what these seven learning goals are. And every professor, um, every instructor has to determine how his or her course is going to contribute towards the learning goals, extracurricular activities have to contribute towards the learning goals, so the what, where we're going is important. And then finally, we, we have come up with a clear understanding of how we get there, right? You know, there's this saying that you hear bandied about that the end justifies the means. We think that that saying is absolutely wrong. Actually, the correct thing to say is that the means determine the nature of the end. Mm. And so for us, the means, the how we do things, is extremely important. And we've we formulated um, a set of principles that guide the behaviors and the decisions that we make on a daily basis. And that is communicated very clearly to everyone in the Ashesi community. And so this is very broadly how we've, we've gone about things. Now, there's within that lots of s- specifics about, you know, the exact method of instruction, The we've had the humility to go around the world and learn from others, uh, and so on that, that we've done.
1: You, 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 you got my attention when you talked about specific ways of doing things to and you, you you lean towards ethics. And right. And when when you mentioned it you immediately brought my mind to something that I was thinking about earlier in the day. Because when we talk about products or results, it feeds into somehow the bucket filling approach. Because one of the things that I think is a big challenge is the the focus on exam results only. When we talk about results, right. our attention seems to lean towards exams. And so students therefore Put all their efforts into passing an exam um, And the curriculum of which they may not even be able to reproduce The next week or the next day Right. And do not then get good grades But do not then um, respond to the challenges in the economic marketplace There is also the other side of it where it gets so competitive That there is institutional corruption in examinations Where some institutions actually help the students to cheat right? Just so that the, the corporate results can do well Patrick, how... Harmful is this in the long run, or what are the implications of this kind of situation in the long run?
2: I mean, that is very corrosive when you have, you know, your most educated people uh, who are corrupt. If 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 your most educated people are corrupt and they're basically glorified thieves, your society is doomed, right? And so, for us, you know, ethics actually it turns out is an. It's in every one of those buckets I told you, the why we're doing it, what we're trying to achieve, and the how we get things done. So if you look at the Ashesi 7 Learning Goals, which I recommend that people go to our website to learn what those are, you will not see passing exams as one of the learning goals at Ashesi, but you will see ethical behavior as one of the learning goals you will see civic engagement as one of the learning goals. You will see analytical thinking and problem solving as learning goals. And if you look at the how we get things done, you will see ethics, being ethical, as as one of the ways we get things done as well. And so, yeah, I think that it's all, you, it all comes back down to values and purpose of of organizations. And, you know, I'll give you an example of one that has been very important to us and difficult. You know, we we decided early on that we wanted to provide access to even the poorest students to be able to come to Ashesi. And so we set up a scholarship scheme. We raised money for it. And we've been giving out scholarships for the last 10 years. Uh, most people in Ghana just simply did not believe us when we said we have a scholarship program. And you know, there's lots of people who accuse Ashesi of being a school for rich kids and so on. And we've just totally ignored that. We know what we're doing. We make sure that we're giving opportunities to the poorest of the poor, and that we're charging fees to those who can afford it. Um, and we've just been very steadfast It's something that is, that is important to us, and we've really transformed a lot of lives. Um, there have been times when financially it's been difficult for us to make this commitment to financial aid. But even when we've, been, we've had you know cash problems, we've still maintained that commitment. I think it, you, you really need to work from a point of values.
0: Thank you, Patrick. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Arbed and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert N.E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus two three three two four nine 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 zero zero zero. You may also subscribe to amazon.com